What's up everyone and welcome to the 11th episode of Shooting the Breeze. I'm your host, Max Hooper, and the purpose of this podcast is for me to share my unique basketball experiences and perspectives while also sharing those of my guests. For those of you who aren't aware, my entire senior season at Oakland University, I did not attempt one two-point field goal, and I took a whole lot of threes, 257 of them as a matter of fact. I have always prided myself in being a great shooter, and that is what continues to propel my basketball career. So yep, you guessed it. On this show, we'll be talking shooting. For those of you who are particularly interested in shooting, this will probably be one of your favorite episodes to date. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Travis Bader. He currently plays for Basket Recanati in Italy. Travis is the all-time NCAA record holder for the most three-pointers made in a career with 504. He played four years at Oakland University under Greg Campy. Coach Campy always has a high-volume three-point shooter on his roster. So after Travis graduated, naturally, he recruited me. During our conversation, Travis and I will talk about what it takes to become a great shooter, what goes into getting yourself open on the court, the mindset of a shooter, and many other things. Without any further ado, what's up, Travis? Great to have you on the show. Yeah, what's up, man? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I've, uh, Absolutely. I've seen you've had some good people on. I saw you just had Drew on, so yep. you know I'm, I'm excited to be on with you. Yeah, I gotta get some Oakland people. You know, can't fu- can't do too many Oakland people, but uh, <laughs> gotta get some gotta get the you know some quality Oakland guests on there because that's a uh, my alma mater. But um, so you For know, sure. so now, like I said, I, I know I got a lot of uh, Oakland fans listening, but you know, some people out there might might not know much about Travis Bader. So first, let's just uh, let's just go. You know briefly describe you know your journey that brought you to where you are now as you're in your third uh, professional season you know from high school into college and into into the pros yeah um you know starting in high school I was uh you know I wasn't one of those big time recruit uh you know and four star five star player like that nothing I uh was a small skinny little kid and uh didn't have much much notice or any looks from anywhere and um you know, Oakland was the only Division One scholarship offer that I had coming out of high school, and to me that was really important. Um, I wanted to play Division One. I. I didn't necessarily want to uh, walk on somewhere. Um, I had a couple places interested uh, to have me walk on, but you know, I wanted to. I wanted to play, and Coach Campy and uh, the rest of the coaching staff kind of gave me that opportunity. And um, you know, I knew that's exactly where I wanted to end up, and. Uh, you know, with with that, uh, you know, Coach Campy kind of was just very honest with me at the beginning and told me how it was going to be when I came in, that I was going to redshirt right away. And based off that and how much better I got, how much bigger I got, um, would kind of determine my future here at Oakland. And, uh, you know, I kind of liked that, just that it was kind of in my hands. Um, so, you know, I kind of – I like the my story as being a, a story of um, – hard work, you know, just like you, um, you know, we work hard and, and we've kind of made everything that we've gotten. We've, we've made it from just the work that we put into the game and, uh, from high school to college and now playing my third professional year in Europe. Um, you know, the same story it's, you know, every summer, every, uh, after practice and everything, just, just putting in the work to kind of, uh, you know, keep it going and, and try to stay on the rise. Right. Yeah. So, um, do, do you think, you know, maybe not getting the attention you felt like you, you know, you had hope for in high school was that, you know, physical limitations or just, you know, being, being, you know, that skinny kid running around or can you point to something specifically, maybe why you don't think you, uh, you know, you know, people might look at, you know, not, you know, now, you know, three year, 
three-year pro and uh, all-time leader in three-point uh, three-point makes in Division One. They say, how did this kid not get one? You know, one chance. You know, one more than one scholarship offer. How did? How weren't people, uh, you know, clamoring over getting this kid? So, you know, was it just because you were skinny, or just who? Like, maybe offer some sort of insight into that. Right. Um, you know, I think I think it was that you know I just didn't have that appearance. I didn't have that right. look. Um, and you know, I don't blame schools. When I look back at it, you know, at the time, <laughs> right. you're, kind of, you're angry, you're upset, you want people to notice you. But looking back, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have noticed myself either. I was just a, a real skinny kid. I was probably six foot two at the time of my mm-hmm. senior year. Ended up growing two inches uh, when I got to Oakland. And um, you know, like I said. So, it's it's kind of hard because when you're recruiting and you're a coach, you're looking for the talent. Um, you know, every year, you know, your job could be on the line and you want to have the best kind of recruits, the best kind of kids coming in. And so you go for the talent. You go for the body, the athleticism. And I think a lot of people focus on that, how, uh, you know, what they're doing, AU, stuff like that. And you just don't really see, you know, the harder or, or how the kid's going to work, um, sometimes you don't take that into consideration. I think a lot of schools passed up, uh, you know, that they didn't, they didn't think that, you know, maybe this kid just wants it. He's willing to put the work in. He's willing to register. He's willing to, to go through everything to make himself a player. And, uh, instead they kind of just go for that, that big name at the time. So, um, like I said, you know, it's just all been hard work. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't blame anybody because when I look back at pictures, uh, I was a twig, man. Right. And, and it makes sense, you know, um, but that's a, that's something when you're, you know, I've tried to put, as you, I think when you, at the time, you know, like you said, you're frustrated and, I, and you know, I went through the same thing, you know, not getting recruited at the place I wanted to be recruited, but, you know, then as you get older and when you, you, you mature, you, you kind of put yourself in the coach's shoes and you're like, well, would I really have, would I really have, you know, recruited myself, or, like you said, and it's, it's just funny exactly. because how, how do you, you, there's no way to really evaluate uh, you know what a kid is gonna how much a kid is gonna improve you know you're evaluating as a coach you're evaluating 16 17 18, 18 year olds and trying to project how they're gonna be when they're 22 21 22 um, exactly. and that's definitely an inexact science so um let's talk I think about you even see it. I think you even see just talking about that with even like bigger guys you go to Isaiah Thomas who yep. was the last pick in the NBA draft and all of a sudden he has this huge chip on his shoulder and he's one of the hardest workers and you see where he is today yeah no that's that's a great point so so let's talk about let's also go back and talk about like your development as as a player so were you always this great three-point shooter or is that something that came along or you know just gives give people listening some insight into how you feel like your game developed as your career progressed that was definitely something that um, took a lot of work. Uh, a lot of people, I'm sure you get the same question. You know, a lot of people always say, you know, or not question, but they kind of just label you with this gift to shoot the ball. Right. And, uh, you know, anybody who knows anything about shooting knows that it's repetition and, and hard work every single day after practice, before practice. Um, it's just nonstop. So, you know, for me, I didn't have a, a very pretty jump shot coming in. Uh, coming through high school and uh you know my high school coach really just worked with me mm-hmm. and even into my senior year you know I kind of had more set shot and sure he just kind of focused on uh you know really being able to explode into my shot release at the highest point stuff like that and um you know you just from there you just work and you work and I really fell in love with you know working on my jump shot working on uh paying attention to the details of of you know being a shooter 
And uh, when I got to college, same thing, uh, redshirt year, you know, you just, you, you enjoy the work and you realize that this is what's going to make me successful is, is shooting the basketball, being labeled as a knockdown shooter. And um, you do everything you can to, to make that happen. And, and for me, a lot of it was, you know, obviously working on my craft, working on my footwork, um, just like every shooter does, but also being able to add that. 10 pounds, 15 pounds from high school to college and being able to develop that way. And then, you know, once, once you, uh, are being known for, you know, being a shooter, um, you know, I think the, the other stuff that you can do comes into factor with ball handling and stuff. And so just, you know, everything from, uh, every part of the game, I think helps when you're a shooter, but, uh, you know, Definitely, I think Oakland did a great job development-wise. Uh, the coaches, they really pay attention to that and, and uh, you know, really helped me progress. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, both of us have, ex, you know, a unique perspective being just based on the Oakland thing and, you know, playing a similar, similar role. You know, Coach Campy, he's used, you know, the same offense and the same type of schemes for, for years, you know, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's funny if you go back and watch, you know, the same – you know, you see me. If you go watch my film, go watch your film. Go watch Eric Kangas. Go back and back. You know, we it's the same type of play, same exact thing. But the, you know, the opposing teams can't seem to figure it out. But I think a huge thing, I, and I think also, I, I think it helped in my development. It's just it's just the expectation that there is once you go to Oakland. You know, Coach Campy yeah. demands a three point shooter, um, and basically, you know, he puts you in positions. But at the end of the day, you got to get open, and he expects you to be able to get open. Um, right and I think yeah like, that was uh my bad that was uh that was a big thing when I first got there like yeah. you said with uh you know before me it was Kangas so it was mm-hmm. like I got to I got to campus and you know they were hoping I would become a shooter nobody obviously knew that I would be a great shooter right. and uh they handed me film of Eric Kangas and I just watched it and watched it studied it and like you just said you know they run the same plays over and over after, year after year but it's on you to find ways to make it happen, get yourself open. And, you know, like Coach Washington, Coach Sorsen, they did a fantastic job of just teaching me how to read screens, stuff like that, which I'm sure they went through with you as well. Right. Yeah, and like you said, you followed Eric Kangas's footsteps, and then I, I followed yours. And then I – you know, when I was first getting rolling, you know, being able to sprint off those screens, it's a certain skill set, you know, and it's a certain feel and being able to hit those off-balance shots. And, you know, I don't know if that was something I was prepared for, and you right. know, Coach Campy's breathing down my throat. You know, you're never as good as Travis Bader. You know, blah blah blah, all these sorts of things. But I just think, uh, you know, th- that's his expectation. You know, he needs a guy who's going to knock down forty plus percent, and who's going right. to, you know, fire him up there because that's just how he believes. He, you know, it, it gives his, uh, you know, his team the best chance to win. And when you're, those expectations are thrust on you, I feel like you have, you know, no choice but to, but to, you know, adapt and get creative and figure out how you can get those shots off because because you know it might sound selfish like you know you're hunting shots and you know people casual listeners might think it's selfish but that's your role you know what I mean that's right. your it's really the offense yeah that's your your job as at Oakland University or if you're a three-point shooter on any team I mean at whether you're in high school that's why you're on the team whether you're in college if you're on scholarship or at, at the professional level that's why you're getting a paycheck is to make shots and be a threat and um you know that expectation that he creates i think not even the drills he gives you or the insight just that expectation alone i think forces you to develop um as a player and i think i think i think that you can see that in both of our paths going through oakland 
So um, exactly. you and I, I, I didn't mean to like just go on a rant there, but you and I, you know, we're, we're probably a little bit biased towards this, but you know, the next thing I want to talk about is uh, what value, like how important is it for a team to have a shooter in the first place? What, you know, beyond just the ability to make shots, talk about the effect that it has, you know, on, on other players on the court from your perspective. Oh man, I think, especially in today's game, I think it's everything. Um, you know, you look at, obviously you look at the Warriors, you look at teams where they mm -hmm. just have, you know, three different guys who can light it up from, from anywhere mm -hmm. and it's just impossible to guard. But then if you go to the teams, you know, let's say you go to the Cavs and Kyrie can shoot, you know, he can sh shoot the ball from anywhere as well. Right. And then you have LeBron who can, but that's not his game. And so he's trying to attack. You throw a shooter out on the court and it just changes everything. Um, you know, I think it's, I think being a shooter is one of the most, you know, might be biased, but I think it's one of the most important jobs just because there's a lot of pressure on you. It's right. you're, you're the one who's out there to space the floor. You're the one that's allowing the point guard to kind of get into the lane. And then once teams figure out, you know, we got to collapse on Kyrie and they start leaving Corver a little bit open, mm -hmm. then your expectation is you better knock down this shot because Kyrie's kicking you the ball in the corner. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have time to, miss a shot or two it's expected that you're going to knock it down right away so i think it's a blessing to you know obviously have the role of a shooter but at the same time it's a lot of pressure that comes with it um but i think it just changes the whole mentality of everything from defenses from strategy um like you said uh just hunting shots and then you see end of games where a shooter just goes off and kind of fights your way back into the game for the team um you know i think it's i think it's everything Every team needs to have at least a knockdown shooter on the court, and that's why they always say, uh, you know, if you can shoot the basketball, you're going to play. Coaches are going to put you in the game. They're going to you're going to be a player on the court, um, just because you are so deadly and you offer that um, you offer that ability just to change the whole game. Honestly, right. And I think even now in the NBA, you know, sh shooting as a whole is changing it, and then, you know that's going to the extreme with the you know it's not a four a stretch four anymore. It's a stretch five. And, you know, everyone, right. pretty much everyone has to be able to shoot the ball in today's game. But, you know, at the end of the day, even if guys are, you know, threats to make shots, there's always going to be that one or two guys who's just marked. And, you know, um, you, you know yourself, if a shooter, a shooter can change a game, you know, a shooter can have a five minute stretch, three minute stretch where they hit bang, 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 four threes, five threes. And right. that totally changes momentum. So and then the, the opposing defenses, you know, guard guard those players appropriately because you know they understand opposing coaching staffs understand when a guy's hitting shots you know it's just uh it changes the game and I, I welcome that you know because I feel like you know obviously there's those games when you're going to go off and you're going to have the you know eight nine ten threes and whether it's in college or high school or, or at the next level but you know even those games when you know you might only hit one or two of them but the defense is just working so hard to prevent you from getting them that you know yeah you're affecting I've, everyone else i've had you know just like you shooters go through their days of good ones bad ones mm -hmm. but i mean even if you're over 10 guys are afraid you're going to knock down the next shot so right. you know you could be having a horrible night but you're always that threat out there on the court and like you said with the pick and pop fours the pick and pop fives mm -hmm. it's crazy that in europe it's amazing the four man on every team can shoot the ball and it's just such a threat over here where mm -hmm. the point guard's coming off the screen, pick and pop, and you just have to defend it a completely different way compared to, you know, if you have a four that can't shoot, 
it's so much easier. And, mm-hmm. and I think you really see that over in Europe. And they, you know, I think in Europe, they, they really take the time to work on the fundamentals, work on shooting. I think everybody's, you know, pretty good at shooting over here. Sure. And then, then you kind of watch games back home and I'm sitting here watching games where nobody can hit a shot and, you know, guys are being left open, uh, college basketball, NBA, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, that's, that's the effect too. You can't shoot it. And it's like the Rondo effect where you just back up and, yep. you know, what effect point. does he have? Where if you're guarding Steph Curry or Russ, who's going to pull it from anywhere, it's just so much harder to defend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then here's, you know, here's another thing that I've thought about. And the, re- the reason why this came to my mind, actually, I was listening to when the Cavs traded for Kyle Korver about, I don't know when that was, maybe a month and a half ago or so, a little more than that. But uh, they <laughs> traded for him and LeBron, you know, super high IQ guy, he, he gave this interview where they asked him, you know, what kind of effect is Kyle Korver going to have on your team? And he said, well, I sat down, I watched 25 minutes of Kyle Korver clips, and I looked exactly where his shot pocket is, shot pocket is how he likes the ball delivered, how he likes, you know, uh, the ball to be when he's coming off pin down, sorts of things like that. So talk about how, how important do you think it is to be on, you know, on a string as a shooter with, with, a, with your point guard, you know, to be in sync where he's delivering you the ball where you need it? Oh, man, I think it's one. I think it's just, you know, very important to have a great relationship with your point guard. Obviously, who's, he's the guy who has the ball in his hands. He's the one who's going to ultimately, you know, put it where it needs to be for you, mm-hmm. uh, find you when you're, you know, there's a lot of tough situations, as you know, where it takes a split second for somebody to read. And a lot of guys can't make the passes where you're coming out from under the basket. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy shoots the gap and all of a sudden you're flaring and they can't make that pass. And as a shooter, you get a little frustrated because, you know, you did your job, you read the screen, you read the situation, and you're not getting the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think it's – obviously it's important to have a point guard that can do that. I think LeBron uh, is t- – it's coming from the extreme from LeBron because that's, he's that's such an amazing passer. a pretty damn extreme example. but uh... <laughs> Exactly. And and it's, it's actually unbelievable that, like, you know, that he can – put it right in the pocket where he needs to considering when you watch the highlights of how fast he's moving and you know he's doing the no look passes but he's still hitting Corver where it needs to be exactly where he needs it to be but yeah like you said I mean there's a lot of you know a lot of times in practice with uh you know Campy would get on point guards or would get on um just you know guys for for bad passes and you throw it up by a guy's head you throw it down by his knees and all of a sudden it takes an extra half second to get it you know back in your shooting pocket and find that rhythm that you want as a shooter and it can change the whole outcome of the shot so you know it's definitely important i think it's important for everybody um you know even post players kicking it out or Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be you got to be able to put it you know where your where your teammates gonna have the most success uh being able to shoot it yeah and and like you said lebron is obviously extreme example lebron in that interview explained that he has he knows that certain guys like it higher he like had he had like a formula for each shooter where they like it and whether they like the ball in the seams or not like it was crazy and who knows you know how much of that is just you know lip service but i mean if he's actually like processing that in real time you know like okay this is jr smith he doesn't need it on the seams and he likes it a little to the right like if he can actually do that that just proves that you know he's he's obviously one of the greatest players ever to live but yeah, that is that is amazing. That's an extreme, but I, I, I like that he's saying that because it shows, you know, even as a shooter, it shows that he's concerned with, you know, he's not concerned with himself. He's not concerned with, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm sure he wants the assist, but he's concerned with making you as comfortable as you can be. And, you know, that's a great teammate. Yeah, and there's, um, 
there's also like the example of where you know LeBron he may he might not even look at you when he's passing it he might he might um he might throw it over his head he might be falling out of bounds but he can still deliver it and um right I'm not sure if I don't know if everyone anyone's ever taken this stat but you know just just as a shooter you know when the ball's off you know off center or low or high just the likelihood of you making it is probably not as good I mean you guys like yourself and myself you and you and myself you know we believe every single shot's going in whether we're falling out of bounds or the ball's you know at our feet you know we believe we can make every shot but I mean just over the law of averages I think it would have to be that you know if passes put put right on the money compared to passes that are off target you know you're just going to make less of them so um right and I've actually heard um I've heard of like colleges programs where the coaches get on the managers for not having a pass right on the money oh wow and to me i like it and i don't like it I, because i mean there's so many times in the game you're you not know, where the game's you're not getting yes yeah. exactly so i think you know even to even today when i'm shooting with uh one of my teammates here and they apologize for a pass that's too far left right too high you know i'm like it's okay because you got to work on that too you got to be able to as a shooter catch it where you're uncomfortable get it back into your pocket and find that rhythm right that's yeah that's there's, you know, that sometimes you want them, you know, perfect passive, but then sometimes when I'm shooting, I just tell the guy who's rebounding, throw it horrible, throw it over my head. I don't yeah. care. I got to bury it. But there, you know, as right. a great shooter, you believe those shots are going in. So that leads me into this, you know, a little bit nicely, which is I want to talk about, uh, we've touched on it just a little bit and, and we're not going to talk about shooting the entire time, but we've touched on it a little bit. So let's talk about the mentality that goes with shooting, you know, the, um, the the mentality that to not be afraid like you said to go over 10 or to know that the next shot's going in or to have that have that ultimate confidence talk about what goes into that yeah i think that's tough um you know i think a lot of people you know shooting's all about confidence it's all about like you said missing shots and believing the next shot's going in and you know i think so many people are kind of caught up in as the game goes on oh man i'm you know, in their head, they're counting their shots or mm-hmm. I'm 0 for 4, I'm 1 for 5. And it kind of puts that doubt in their mind of if they should even take that next shot or, or what may have. Right. But, um, you know, I think shooting is all about confidence. I think, you know, we described, we were talking about shooters and how deadly they are on the court. Um, and even if you're missing shots, you know, you got to believe that next one's going in. You got to, you're having an off night. You know, you got to be able to find what it is. Maybe there's a twitch in your shot. Maybe there's something you're not doing that. You know, you always do. Uh, mm-hmm. You got to find that rhythm that makes you comfortable, um, and really be able to self-analyze yourself during the game. Right. Um, but at the same time, without thinking about it too much, because then, as you know, you know, overthinking is oh, one of the worst man. things you That's can do as worst. a shooter. That's the worst. So I mean, it is tough. You know, a lot of people think it's so easy. You just go out there and shoot the ball. Oh, you know, Campy doesn't care if you miss this, this, and this. But it's like, well, you're trying to figure out what you're, you know what's going good with your shot what you're doing wrong at the same time you're not trying to think about your shot you're just trying to let the flow happen in the muscle memory um so like i said you know it's all about confidence and you know i have obviously i still have those games and everybody does where you're you know you're just not feeling it that game but you just got to tell yourself hey you know this is what you do knock down the next shot and move on um so i just think it's all about that it's all about that confidence and that you know it's it's cockiness and right uh, you know, you don't have to be extremely vocal about it and, and go out there and talk smack to whoever's guarding you. But inside your head, you need to, you know, kind of have that little chat with yourself that this is what you do and, and next shot's going in. 
Right. You, you don't have to be, like you said, externally. You don't have to have it. But you got to be bold as a shooter because, right. you know, a lot of people, the shooter's mentality, as you put it, you know, a lot of people, oh, the next one's going. And, you know, it's almost become cliche at this point. But there's a big difference between, you know, saying that you think the next one's going in and really believing it when your team right. is down eight on the road and you're one for seven from the three and, you know, the coach draws up a play for you to get open. Are you really going to have it in you? You know, are you going to have the nuts, you know, to bury that one and to put it in right there? So it's like, right. I just think there's that difference between, you know, saying it and really truly in your heart believing that the next one's going in. And, and that's what sets the great shooters apart because the great shooters, you know, anyone can be a great shooter when the gym's empty, but who's going to be a great shooter when the game's on the line or when you need that, you know, that big flurry of threes and there's just, just, and and there's there's that there's that Kobe quote where I don't know what the exact quote, but he's talking about he'd rather go 0 for 20 yep. than like 0 for, 0 for he'd rather go 0 for 30 than go 0 for 9 or so, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and so I, I actually saw that like Lance Stevenson or like somebody said it the other night. Dion Waiters like, because like Dion Waiters. Dion Waiters he yeah. like he like put up shots and you know I think there's <laughs> I think there's a difference between a guy saying that like you said right. guys kind of say it to sound, to make themselves sound confident right. but then when you look at Kobe like he meant it like you know oh, yeah. you know well that Kobe thought you know I don't care how many <laughs> shots I miss next one's going in oh mm-hmm. it didn't go in next one's going in other right. guys are just like oh whatever I'm gonna shoot 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 <laughs> right and then, but then the other aspect to that co- confidence and. And that, that confidence isn't just, you know, pulled out of thin air. It's it's back to, way back to what we started with. It's the work. You know, it's the, the repetition. And it's the fact that I have every right to shoot. I, I, I deserve to miss this shot if I do miss it. You know what I mean? Like, you have right. earned the right you to be able to miss it. And, you know, once you're – when you're in a program like Oakland or when you're on a team, you know, where you're with guys every day and – that I think the confidence comes also from your teammates seeing you work and seeing the way you shoot and practice every day, and it's like, boom, yeah. Obviously, Max is going to knock this one down. Obviously, Travis is going to knock this one down. So I think that's the difference too when you see some of these guys who you know Kobe for his work ethic, you mm-hmm. know Kobe for being in the gym more than anybody before, after all this stuff, and then you see some guys who you don't hear anything about their work mm-hmm. ethic, and who knows, maybe they have a great one, maybe they don't, but. You don't hear about it, so then mm-hmm. you hear them talking about taking shots and oh, all this and that. But you know your teammates have confidence in the guys who they see putting in the work. So if Kobe were to go over thirty as a teammate, you can't be mad because hey, Kobe's working harder than you. You know, right? Totally. So we've talked, you know, pretty much whole, all all about shooting. We'll get back to some more shooting, but just for the just for the fans out there, um, what has what playing in Europe been like? What what's what's that been like? Uh, playing in Europe has been, has been great. Um, you know, from a living aspect, uh, just being able to see different cultures, see the world. Um, you know, me and my fiance Alexa are out here and, you know, we've been to three different countries and we've been to countries I never thought I would ever go to like Lithuania. And we ended up, you know, loving Lithuania. Um, and then we've been to some places like France and now Italy and same thing. It's just interesting to see kind of how everybody just loves basketball and, how crazy they are about basketball, which is awesome. Um, and then from you know from a basketball perspective, uh, it's it's different. Honestly, it's it's tough because after you leave college, obviously everybody's talking NBA and everybody's thinking NBA. Or why is he not D League? He can get a call up. All this stuff. And 
you kind of get that people start to get to that expectation of oh he's playing in Europe maybe you know he didn't make it people who don't Mm-hmm. understand basketball kind of see it as a nba or bust type of thing mm-hmm. but in reality being in europe it's amazing how many just great players are over here and i you know there's so many guys over here that could honestly be in the nba um and then the other side of it you know americans that could that come back and play in the nba and then the other side of it you see these drafts and you just mm-hmm. see all of a sudden all these teams are taking european players and it's getting earlier and earlier into the draft where they start picking them mm-hmm. and most people are like you know what are they doing just to draft and stash they never have to bring them over they're saving themselves and it's like no you play up you play against these guys and honestly they have the talent they have the skill they have the fundamentals everything intellectual about the game um i mean it's it's amazing how global basketball is and and people just think you know people in America, the guys in college should be the ones being drafted and all this stuff where in reality, you know, the European players are, are just as good. Right. And I, and I hear you on what you said, you know, some people, you know, let's say you're, you know, sometimes this happens when you're watching a college game, someone would be like, <clears throat> some guy who's playing really well in college, they'll be like, oh, you know, is he an NBA player? And then people will just be like, oh, he'll just go overseas. You know, he'll just do that. Or right. it's not as easy as, oh, he'll just go overseas. You know, like there's, uh, incredibly high expectations, and there's there's only so many jobs out there. You know, everyone wants to be a professional basketball player, and there's only so many jobs. And like you said, there's there's only four hundred well, you, there's only four hundred fifty NBA jobs in the world, and right. there's there's a large number of guys who have quote unquote enough talent to fill those jobs. But you know, it's sometimes it's a matter of luck, sometimes it's situations, sometimes it's just a numbers game, and you know, the casual fan misses out on that and, oh, why, why is he playing in Europe? Why is he doing this? But I haven't personally played in Europe, but, you know, everyone has their own experiences and, and that's why, you know, I bring different guys on here, share their perspectives, but, you know, your perspective is refreshing because, right. uh, you know, people people look at playing in Europe as, oh, you know, that's second, you know, second, right. second to the NBA or whatever. But, you know, like I said, there's only 450 NBA jobs and <laughs> they're tough to and come by. Yeah, and then you think you got to draft every year. There's mm-hmm. 60 picks, and it's like when you really look at it, how many guys from college end up sticking in the NBA right. for that year, let alone you know two or three years? Mm-hmm. And then all you know, most of those guys who people are talking about, oh, he's a second round draft pick. Well, yeah, he's playing been playing in Europe for five six years, making half a million to a million dollars because you know he is so successful over here in right. europe and he fits his role and he's playing for a strong team and playing euro league euro cup whatever it may be um and then like you said it's you know it's it's a lot of pressure in europe you know they especially on the americans they bring you over here and they kind of expect you to it depends on the team obviously but they expect you to either you know put up the points or save the team or whatever it may be mm-hmm. and if you're not performing it's you know, you're cut. It's and my first year business. I went to France. Yeah. yeah. My first year I went to France and after a couple of months it didn't end up working out. Um, you know, the the playing time wasn't high and I came from Oakland where I was playing every single minute of, of every game and um it's just different. And I have a guy ahead of me and you know, it was a huge learning experience for me. And uh, you know, it was a cutthroat business and I understood it right away. Hey, this is this isn't college anymore. You can't go out there and have a couple off nights. You know, they do to they expect you to perform, and if you're not performing, you're going to deal with it. So, 
um, like you said, it's it's not easy, and there's only a certain amount of teams, certain amount of players, and certain amount of Americans that each team can bring in. And um, you know, it, you, you just really have to be on your toes and and understand what it's all about. All right. And so, so on the other side of things, let's talk about. You know, you I think you've played in the D League for like 20, 20 something games or so. Uh, not last season, or I forget, was that two seasons ago? I think it was. Um, two seasons. Yeah, so talk about just, just that experience and maybe what you took from that or yeah, what that experience was like. Uh, D-League was good. Um, you know, it's it's different because, you know, I had an experience with one team. Um, you hear about so many different experiences with all sure. these other teams. and um, You know, for me, it was a good situation after being cut in France to go – to kind of get that confidence back, sure. put up some good numbers, and, and kind of help myself for the next year. Um, you know, it's it's also, to me, it was kind of difficult just because, um, you know, it, it's, it's a different game. And you right. go and you play in Europe and you try to adjust to European basketball and it's more team-wise and it's, you know, very intellectual. Everybody kind of understands and all the strategies, techniques, and you kind of really just have to be focused and, and, and understand the game. And then you come back and, you know, D-League is what it is. It's it's uh, it's based off the NBA, and the NBA is a lot of one-on-one. It's, you know, a little more towards the selfish side. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I kind of came back and uh, had, to, had to, you know, kind of switch the, the whole strategy of the game. And, um, you know, but it ended up working out, and it was great for me. Um, but a lot of people at the same time, they see – you know, they, they kind of think that you should go play D-League just because you have the opportunity to get called up. And they don't really understand is how difficult that is. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's more than just playing well. Um, mm-hmm. It's There's a lot that factor into all these things. And, um, you know, the D-League is great for that. It's great for a guy who's on the fringe. Um, but it's, it's not an easy situation. And, you know, I had a couple games where I was playing D-League and I had a couple good games and everybody's like, oh, Pistons, you screwed up. Why didn't you take him? Or, right. or what are you guys doing? You got this shooter out here. And, you know, I believe it too. But at the same time, it's every player in the D-League, they can play. And right. just like Europe, you got a lot of guys over there who can play and you come back to only a certain amount of jobs in the NBA. So, you know, for me, it's it's been more about you know, I don't think of Europe as that second tier type of thing. I think of it as an amazing career path. And uh, I, I like Europe right now. I kind of like exploring. I like being able to see different cultures and I like the game. Um, and honestly, there's, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in Europe. And mm-hmm. that's the, the kind of the plus side as opposed to the D League where everybody knows it's, you know, not that. The pain ain't, uh, ain't great. But, um, D League, exactly. D League, it's not great. Yeah. So I mean, I just, I just wanted to ask you those questions, just because people, it just gives a, a different perspective, you know, because people are just like, oh, he's just in the D League, oh, he's just overseas. But like, people don't understand exactly how difficult these jobs are to come by. I think, and like you said, right. you, you got cut your first year. I was in my first year in Westchester, and I got released. So. It ain't easy, you know. It it's not like you can just sign up for the D League and say let's go, or just sign up for an overseas team and say let's go. You know, it's uh, wherever you are, you got to work your ass off, and it's a it is a rude awakening coming from college. You know, where you're comfortable and you know the coaching staff believes in you, your teammates believe in you, everyone in the crowd believes in you. You know, it's just a it's just a whole different ball game, and uh, yeah, completely different that the casual fan wouldn't be able to recognize because. 
they haven't experienced it. And frankly, before this year, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what professional basketball was all about, and neither did you three years ago before you got started. So it's a learning right. experience, and I think experience is the best teacher. And you know, guys like us with you know whose whose career is founded on the work ethic. You know, it's just about keep grinding, keep figuring out how do you adapt, how do you be, you know get your shot off, how do you find a situation that's right for you, and you know. At the end of the day, your journey ends up being what it is, and it's a beautiful thing. But um, and so, it is about that too. It's all about. I mean, just like college, it's about you know fr- finding the right situation. And I've been going through that my past three seasons. You know, mm-hmm. every summer, you hear if teams are interested, if they're not, and you have to weigh the. You know, it's like picking a college all over again, and you're trying to figure out is this going to be a good situation for me, or am I going into a bad situation? Right. And it's, you know, it's almost year after year, and it's just like you said. I mean, it is. it is. It's all situation. Right, and that, that leads me nicely into what I wanted to talk about next. Actually, I'll share with the the fans a, a small little uh, uh, anecdote based around on when I first met you, actually. So we'll rewind to fall 2010. I think it was probably August, September, maybe 2010. Mm-hmm. I show up at, uh, I think through it was a connection through Darren Sorensen, AAU, something like that. I don't even know why. I didn't know what Oakland University was. You're from Michigan. <laughs> I didn't know right. what Oakland University was, you know what I mean? And and even since that time, Oakland has you know grown a lot in terms of national uh, attention, basketball-wise, because of guys like yourself, Reggie Hamilton, Keith Benson, Kay Felder, etc. You know, um, all those guys hadn't come through the school before then, and so so I go up to you know they're like you know oh, this is a place Oakland they love to shoot threes. I'm like, sure, let's go visit it. And you know me and my dad show up and we go into the gym into the arena and there's pickup. I think it was pickup going on or something like that. And they're like. Yeah, this is. It was just after you had finished your redshirt year, and they're like, "Yeah, this is our shooter, you know, Travis Bader," and like you said, it, the skinny little kid, and you had never never played a college game at this point, and uh, I think I don't remember if it was I, then I played pickup, but we played pickup together, and I was just like, you know, think think you know, weighing my options, you know, I had had these options, different options, and uh, I just right. think. I just think it's so funny to think way back to that time and then to see how your your career played out and then to see the way I ultimately found my way to Oakland. You know, it's just it's just funny. And like sometimes I like even during my senior year when I was when I finally, you know, kind of figured it out and was was really having a good year. um, Me and some of the guys who knew you personally, you know, we're joking about like what if we had, you know, Max and Travis Bader on, on the court at the same time, like. Or like right. you know, our our staple plays, you know, the floppy action choice, as as we call it, you know, Bader run off one side, me run off the other, you know, it's just it's just uh funny funny little things like that that uh that uh Make- come come to mind, and but it's really about the the system that Campy has in play, you know, to let to let his shooters really do his thing, you don't you think so? Yeah, and I mean going back to going back to that. Um, yeah, I remember me and Drew. I, I think Drew was your Drew Valentine was your uh, like your host. I th- maybe I, I visited Oakland a handful of times, so it, it kind of all blends together. Okay. But he was at some point, yeah. definitely. Yeah, at some point. But I just I just keep remembering, you know, year after year, you went to you went to Harvard, you went to yeah. St. John's, and Sorson would come up to me and and Val, and he would just be like, "We need this kid. We need Max. He's coming. You know, we got to impress him. We need him." year after year yeah. and every time you know you you went to a different school and he would just you know get on us and it was just like why didn't you guys get him what's wrong 
So, I mean, you were you I mean, were definitely the hot name coming out. But, I guess it was a tough sell. But, you know, when when you're looking at Harvard, you know, it's just it, – I don't I don't need to defend myself because I stand by everything, but I'm, I'm happy I ended up at Oakland and, you know. Uh, right. Oakland so, – you know, Oakland might not – Past the, you know, the this is actually what I wanted to talk about next, but you know, Oakland might not be the sexy name that you know. Now, I don't think too many kids grow up dreaming of playing at Oakland, but right, you know, I think that's a problem in recruiting. Is uh, as soon as some of these kids hear a certain name that comes calling, you know, sometimes it, uh, the fit that a school has for you gets lost in the shuffle, and I guess that didn't necessarily present itself to you because you know Oakland was your only option, but you know, you look at a guy right. like Kay Felder. If he had not go cho- chosen to go to a school like Oakland, you know, who knows if he would have had that t- type of opportunity. And I think sometimes, you know, that 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 name brand school can get distracting from what uh you know the actual fit for a program. W- would you agree? Yeah, I think it's I think it's harder too because obviously when you were coming out, you weren't from Michigan, right? And you know, you were a little more of a hot commodity than I was coming out, and you had. You know, you had big schools looking at you. You had Harvard, right. you had St. John's. And so right. all of a sudden you look at Oakland and they're trying to sell you on, you know, look at the system, look at the offense, can't be loves his shooters, and it's a tough sell just because you don't know anything about Oakland. Right. And you got other schools that you know that are looking at you. Mm-hmm. For me, it was completely different where it's, you know, I want to play D1. They offered me a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm there. So, right. I mean, it's hard to say if, you know, I had a little more name brand or if I was a little bigger and had some other schools looking you know who knows what could have happened but i think everything happens for a reason just like it did for you where you don't regret anything you don't regret going to harvard going to st john's and you eventually ended up at oakland which i think is you know perfect for you and and i think it you know like i said everything happens for a reason and it worked out great um but going back yeah i mean you know i've thought about that too obviously if me and you were on the same court together you know especially with drew valentine out there setting those illegal screens exactly uh, it would have it would have been deadly for and sure even a young uh, k felder delivering the ball <laughs> oh man a young k felder yeah so that would have been a uh that would have been a hard team to mess with for yeah. sure yeah but then you know sometimes and then and then frankly what what ha- has happened and it's become a trend more so in the past few years at Oakland, but you see the guys, uh, Sharon Dorsey-Walker, Martez Walker, um, you know, these guys who go to these schools and it doesn't work out, and boom, they come right back to Oakland, ended up having great careers, and Sharon just right. finished his senior year, and Martez Walker has one more year, had a great year this year. So, you know, sometimes, obviously the dream is to go to the name brand school, the Big 12, the ACC school, and light it up and break records there, but, you know, that's something that's not meant for everyone but that doesn't mean you know that's the only thing so you can go make your name for yourself at a at a school like oakland in a you know in the horizon league and f- frankly some of the some of the best players in the nba steph curry damian lillard cj mccollum right you know, all schools from, all from the small schools and I, yeah uh, and for sure for me especially when I, I ended up graduating and you know i could have left and, and gone somewhere else and played immediately and uh you know mm-hmm. for me it was big just yep just how campy treated me, how the coaches treated me and everybody. And I think, you know, I think it's, it shows now that, you know, so many former players are really coming back and just supporting Oakland. Uh, you have, you know, JJ, Larry Wright, Derek mm-hmm. Nelson, Will Hudson, you, me, Drew, you know, it's, you have all these guys who are now just so devoted to Oakland and trying to make Oakland become as big as possible and grow. 
Right. Um, and I think that it just shows to the people that are there. It shows to Campy. It shows, you know, to his staff and and everybody, the kids he recruits now. Right. So we've touched on a whole bunch of different things, but just from from your experience, from becoming the shooter you've become, give if there's you know a kid listening who wants to, you know, become a great shooter or or maybe if you're you know watching someone shoot, what would three major keys to shooting be from from your perspective Ooh, it's a good one um you know for me i think it would be i think rhythm would be one Mm -hmm. um and when when i say rhythm i mean you know everything from your form to you know how you how you get into your shot everything i think during the game you know, there may be a moment where you shoot the ball and it just didn't feel right and your rhythm was off. And, you know, you go through practice and you knock down, you know, you probably knock down 100 in a row and you're feeling good and the rhythm's there and, you're, you know, everything's everything's clean from your knees being bent right, your elbow being tucked, you're following through. And, um, you know, I think that, that just speaks to the form, the rhythm. Um, I think that footwork, as you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can stand and shoot all you want, but you can't really be a shooter without footwork and mm-hmm. great footwork. And you watch anybody, you watch Corver, you watch Steph, you watch uh, Reggie Miller coming off these screens and just being able to read and, and adjust his feet um, is huge. And, and it's how you become a great shooter. And then third, I would say uh, confidence. I would, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things mentally, um, just being able to, like we talked about, being able to shake off bad games, bad shots, uh, coaches yelling at you, not, you know, not thinking too much about the rhythm of your shot, not thinking too much about the footwork, um, but just believing in yourself, putting in the work. And, um, you know, that repetition is kind of, it leads to the muscle memory and uh, that confidence that you have about yourself and as a player. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, those are three, you know, fairly, fairly general things, but three super important things. And and as a shooter, there's that fine line between not overthinking, but also being aware of what you have going on. And I think that's right. you know a tough thing to do. But the um, the thing that I and I I agree a hundred percent with those three things. But the thing that I've noticed about because sh- I've spent time around a lot of different shooters, you know, yourself, yeah. Anthony Morrow. I've ha- I've had the uh, good fortune to be in. I've been in the gym with Steph a few times, getting some shots oh, up. Yeah. So. Um, a handful of other guys that I can't even think of off the top of my head. Devondrick Walker I had on here is a great D-League shooter this year. And what all I think all those guys have in common is they're obsessive. You know, they have that um, yeah. that compulsive thing where it's like you can feel that one thing in your shot. And, like, I feel like every shooter is like a perfectionist almost. Um, right. You know, you know that – or you know when – your shot is a tiny bit off or like you sometimes I do I do drills I don't know if you do this but I'm sure you have at some point you know drills where it only counts if you swish it you know you don't want those <laughs> those ones rattling around the rim and and that's why that's why shooting is such an art it's a, there's such a craft to it rather than you know dunking the ball with as much force as you can you know you, you can't you can't try harder to make shots you shooting is about a like you said a rhythm a flow being comfortable being in that um being in the zone where you can make your shots because you know people say oh try harder to make them like dude i'm trying to make the shots you know what i mean nobody's Uh, trying to make yeah exactly and i think i think something that that i've tried to think in my mind that kind of helps with just being uh relaxed and confident when you're shooting is as a shooter 
if you six if you can fail sixty percent of the time as a shooter, and still be considered the the elite of the elite, you know what I mean? Forty percent, like if you're shooting over forty yeah. percent at any level, I think you would agree. You know, that's considered like pretty on on if you have a high volume of attempts on forty percent, that's an elite percentage. You know what I mean? That's right. That's Great one shooter. of the best. You're probably going to be top. 10 20 and whatever in your league or in the country or conference or whatever so right. if you can think in your mind i can fail 60 percent of the time at this at this thing and still be considered great you know i think that kind of just like frees your mind and allows you to to do what you're training your body to do exactly um, yeah that's a that's also a new way to think about it. i've never really thought right? of it that way like <laughs> it's, you just said it it's, it's kind of eye-opening to think about that way right i just the time and you're still great like that's that's pretty cool. I don't think in any other profession in, in the world you can fail sixty percent of the time and still <laughs> still collect right. your collect your paycheck. But but I mean that's because it's just a numbers game. You know, three is greater than two, and if you shooting, I, I it hurts my brain to even think about that right now. But if you can shoot whatever percentage from like thirty three percent from three is equivalent to fifty percent from two on a points per shot. Uh, um, basis yeah. or whatever so it's just the value that a three-point shooter adds so i mean we, we touched on a whole whole bunch of different things there actually one, actually i got one more thing for us one more thing so sure. as a shooter um talk about talk about just getting open in and in, in a couple different scenarios let's talk, talk give me your thought process on getting open when you're number one when you're running in transition uh, number two, getting open off a screen, and then number three, off of uh, like spacing or moving out without the ball on a driving kick or something like that. So talk about getting open first in in transition. How, what do you have to do to get open for a shot in transition? Uh, I think the biggest thing is really sprint the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to find you can't you can't be shy. You can't kind of run away from the ball, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you have to find the pocket. You have to find the where the point guard's going to find you the best, where he's going to have the best opportunity to, to kick it to you, whether it's a forward pass, whether, um, you know, maybe you're even equal with him and, and it's, uh, you know, not being too close. It's, it's finding the right space from the defender next to you two, uh, in between you guys, um, or whatever it may be. It might be, you know, you might be even late. You might have gotten caught up, uh, on defense and the ball's already been pushed beyond half court mm-hmm. and you're spreading in and you have to kind of just like transition defense, you have to find, you know, where, you know, you're not finding a guy, but you're finding necessarily where the guy isn't. You're trying to find that space right. where, you know, the point guard can see you wherever the, whoever has the ball can see you and you can kind of step into your shot at the best, um, you know, to the best of your ability. I think coming off screens, uh, I think there's a lot that go, goes into that, um, you know, just that's like a whole art form. <laughs> we could that's probably, a whole art form. I could probably record I, yeah. a whole podcast episode just on that with you. <laughs> Seriously, I used to, you know, Coach Washington every single day he used to teach me something new about coming off of screens. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is, you know, just being able to change, um, change the speed, change the, you know, you're you're jogging down the court, and all of a sudden you see someone's about to set you a screen you plant you go uh you stop he's right on you you stop kind of get that contact where it stands him up and then you sprint back off it right um and i I also think just being physical i think Mm -hmm. you know i saudi coach washington used to do that with me all the time where me and him it would just be under the basket he would be holding me and uh obviously he'd be talking some smack at the time but you know he just holds you and make you very uncomfortable and Uh without 
without being very, uh, you know, without pushing off and making it obvious right, and it's an offensive, offensive foul. foul. Yeah. Yeah, you, you had to you had to chop his hand off you, you had to get a little push off, you had to, you know, stop and go, hit him, create that contact, stand him up, go off the screen. Um I mean there's just so much when it comes to that, but I think just changing changing the speeds and then find ways right. to to create that contact and being aggressive. You think deception um, deception's a big thing, right? Being uh big time. you know, yeah. tricking him. And I actually this is one thing that I observed, you know, I because as a shooter, especially nowadays, YouTube or whatever, you know, Synergy, you just type in J.J. Redick, you type in Kyle Korver, whoever. Um, and one thing, this is crazy that I saw J.J. Redick do. It's like, it goes with how you said, talk about change of pace. But J.J. Redick, like, he did this thing on the court where he's standing in the corner ready for, like, a wide pin down. And he, I thought he, I thought he was actually mad. But he turns around and, like, throws his arm in frustration. It's like, damn it. And, like... But Chris Paul knew exactly what he's doing because he made it seem like he was out of the play, you know, having an attitude problem, whatever. And then, boom, the guy relaxes, and boom, DeAndre Jordan nails him with the screen. Wide open shot. (laughs) And, like, that's taking it to the extreme. You know, that's taking it to the extreme. But it's just, I mean, these dudes, and as as a shooter, they're putting their best athlete on you because they need because they know you're going to run around. um, And And it's hard chasing the guy off screen. No doubt. I mean, no doubt. It's but, kind of our farm there too, but I used to do that too with um, with Drew Valentine again. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, just like you do a choice and you're set under the basket and you have a choice to come off one screen or the, mm-hmm. the double stagger. And me and Drew used to get into a thing where I would look at him, kind of put my hand up in the air, and he would yell, Bader, Bader. Right. And all of a sudden you just sprint off the other way. And the guy's <laughs> already jumping to Drew because he right. knows you know, how hard he sets screens. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, like you said, deception's huge. And uh, and the last thing is just the, the, all about spacing. It's all about yeah. It's being able to, it's being able to find your spots. I think you know a lot of coaches say if you're not moving, you know you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so true as a shooter. You you can't be still. You can't just stand in the corner and hope that Kay Felder drives down the middle and mm-hmm. your defender leaves you. You have to be able to see where he's driving. If he's on the opposite side coming down to the baseline, you need to drift to the baseline with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know different situations. He's coming middle. You need to be able to. Just find your spot on the court, find the space, um, and that's the same thing too with just deception. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you act like a screen, maybe you act like you're sprinting off the baseline. You come off, um, not even a screen, but you just sprint up, and, and your point guard's in sync with you. Right. Um, so, I mean, all three of those are huge. Being a shooter, you just, you know, me and you could record another three hours exactly, just about every like technique and everything <laughs> there is to shoot it. But the um, and then to go along with the, with the way you get open with drive and kick, there's certain you know uh, universal principles like spacing and the NBA. Pretty much, you see so little uh, so little set calls. It's really all based off spacing and and as right. be, being you know a great shooter it comes with making those reads and knowing where the spots are. But yeah, I mean we touched on so so much. But the way I the way I end this, you know, I, I stick with a lot of themes around here. You know, shooting the breeze is the title. And then we yeah. end the podcast every time with a top three, um, you know, sticking with the theme of three. And I thought I've, I've already done the, the, you know, who's the best three point shooter, most underrated shooter. I've done those like a bunch of times. So I had to come up with something different for you and I, but for the Oakland fans, they'll probably appreciate this. And I'm going to do top three great campy moments. And you can oh, take, boy. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to go. I, I have my way. I'm going to go. We, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's, it's all just for fun and just, However you want to take it. it can be serious, can be funny, can be whatever. Um, but the uh, 
the way it's going to work. You, you'll share your first one, then I'll share mine, and we'll go back and forth. So what do you have for your number one favorite Greg Campy oh, moment? Man. My number one would have to be uh, when he gave me the nickname McLovin. Um, <laughs> it was obviously my redshirt year. I uh-huh. looked like I was about 12 years old. And, right. You know, it was early into the practice. It was early into the year, and we just started practices, and I'm out there and a little bit nervous, and mm-hmm. I threw a double bounce pass into the post. I was at the <laughs> three-point line, and I kid you not, my pass – was so slow and so bad that it took two bounces and it got into like Will Hudson or Keto. Right. And he stopped practice. And I think there's some people in the stands, so he wanted to be funny. Right. But he stopped practice and he was just, Are you kidding me? I've never seen anybody throw a double <laughs> bounce pass from the three point line. What the hell, McLovin? Right. And it was the first time he ever called it. And everybody just stopped what they're doing, started cracking up, took right. about five, ten minutes for everybody to calm down. And I was just like, Oh my God, I hope this doesn't stick. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that would be my. That, that's one. a good one. That's a good one. I'll go. I'll go with a kind of a funny one. Um, you know, we. I kind of talked about not this moment specifically, but it was. It was. It's pretty much the same thing as you early in a in a a practice before my junior year. Never played a game at Oakland yet, and you know, there there's as as a, as a shooter at Oakland, you got to be a gunner. You know, you have to be a gunner, and you know maybe i think maybe i i don't know i didn't catch the ball right or wasn't confident i was deep behind the line and you know um i didn't shoot it and coach campy you know stops practice and you know looks around all confused and and he says you know you know i I brought you here for one reason i mean i brought you here to shoot the ball i mean well we already know you're not going to do anything else we already know you don't want to play defense we already know you don't want to pass we already know you don't want to dribble but you won't even shoot the ball so why are you even here but uh, I mean, he was—he's, yeah, you know, Coach Campy is—is I don't even know, brutally honest. I guess I don't know, but he just—you know—he just keeps it real. Yep. And I mean, he was—I <laughs> mean, I try to do what I do, you know, from other aspects of the game. But he just, you know, he, he came down hard on me. But it just kind of, you know, you appreciate that—that that a coach is encouraging you to shoot the ball, and you—you you dealt with the same thing. But I think as time oh, okay. went on, there was never a shot that you or I passed up. But you know. That mentality, it's 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 a different mentality, you know. Maybe that going from well, especially where I came from at St. John's, you know, just kind of being, you know, a secondary option. And if I got a shot, you know, oh, that's nice. But at Oakland, right, the shooter, yeah, that primary. that's your job. You know, there's there's a load that's shouldered on you. And he he said, yeah, you know, you're not going to do anything else, so you might as well just shoot it. <laughs> and I just thought that was pretty. Funny. Yeah, I think he said that to me too. Honestly. Right. So I think I've had that moment. What do you got for um, number two? My number two. Let's see. Uh, let's see. It, sticking with funny, it was uh, – I don't exactly remember how, but I remember Ryan Bass was kind of – I think we were going up and down. Ryan Bass was a little frustrated with some calls uh-huh. because, you know, as we all know, coaches don't make the best referees in practice. Of course, of course. Um, and so Ryan Bass was kind of telling Campy, you know, how to how to ref the game how to do mm-hmm. some things and uh campy didn't like that he gave him a little bit of a warning as he does and he started yelling at him and we continued and grind bass did it again and i remember campy just giving him the clipboard giving him the whistle and he said you know what you effing coach this team blah right. blah blah and campy just kind of walked off to the side stood there with his arms crossed and bass was just standing there in awe with a with the clipboard and a, and a whistle in his hand oh that's hilarious 
that is hilarious. He he basically <laughs> said, "Here, take my job." Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. So number two, <laughs> uh, not necessarily a moment, but probably a a great coach campy quote that I'm sure you heard. Um, just just a quote, basically. He said it a thousand thousand times, but. It, it, it pertains to free throw shooting, so he didn't say it too uh, much to our team because I think we led the nation in free throws or were pretty damn close. But his favorite quote, or one of his favorite, I mean, he's, he's has, he has tons of quotes, probably a laundry list of quotes, but he says, um, you know, there's two things that don't last, and that's uh, dogs that chase cars and teams that don't make free throws. So just like a funny yeah. quote, but also, you know, just emphasizing, you know, the importance of knocking down free throws. And we had a great oh. team that made free throws, so I don't know. If other teams maybe needed that quote more, but uh, <laughs> I just that, it's it's a funny quote, you know, it's a funny quote. Yeah, yeah, definitely heard that one many many times. Um, my third moment, let's see, it's not really a moment. I would just say, you know, kind of speaking like we have about how brutally honest he is. Right. Uh, you know, I I honestly don't think that everybody can handle it, um, mm-hmm. and I think that. It's kind of a breath of fresh air because you know how intense he's going to be. Sure. Um, you know, you see him on TV, you see him, you know, on the sidelines going crazy and just absolutely going at guys. Uh, but you know that he's telling the truth. You know he's speaking his mind. And then off the court, he's going to be, he's going to do whatever he can to help you. He's going to, um, he's going to be your buddy. And uh, so you know, I think that just kind of shows to. To him as a person, like we've been talking about, how brutally honest he is. He he's emotional, he's passionate, but at the same time, he's honest and um, you know he's a great guy. Right, actually, and then I'll, I'll and so that was your third. I'm gonna end my third with just um, another quote that's more 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 like team oriented or whatever. But it's um, you know he'll he'll what he'll always do in the pregame is he'll do these long drawn out speeches you know talking about the scouting report scouting report you know we got to guard this screen this way we got to be ready for the trap we got to do these things and then he'll sit down and get real quiet and like look around at the team and just be kind of like you know fellas despite all that all we got to do at the end of this game is be one point ahead um (laughs) <laughs> and we'll, that's all we need to do, fellas. And so I don't care if I don't care if we win 199. I don't care if we win one to zero. All we got to do is be one point ahead. And I mean, that's just. I guess these quotes kind of just give give uh, you might give fans an insight into his nature. You know, they see the the yelling, the hair pulling, the the stomping, but they might. Not, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but you know, they might not see that that side of him. Right. Um. They might not see that he's actually a funny guy. He's a very funny guy. Um, yeah, and can be funny in serious moments. Um, right. But uh, actually, I'll share. Just, I just got to share one more because that just came to mind. But those are my three. And one more moment is when uh, we were playing at Milwaukee, and he he felt like he that I should be the one inbounding the ball at the end of the game because he trusted me. He thought I was you know quote unquote intelligent or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know I I just kind of panicked and I threw. I threw he he described it as the worst pass in D1 history. Um, I threw it threw it clear over one of our my teammates heads out of bounds and and he just came in the I I was expecting to get screamed at, you know, it's an important conference game, but I came into the yeah. huddle and he just starts laughing. There's 25 seconds left in the game. And we just laughed for the whole time out. We didn't even talk strategy, nothing. We just laughed <laughs> and then went out and won the game. So, 
I'm, man, he must have gotten soft. No, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, for I'm, fans, I'm surprised, man. We both gave three moments, and none of them had to do with food when it came to camping. That is That's true. Impressive. They they could have easily been, but you know, fans. We could do a whole new topic of your three funniest food moments with him. And we, yeah, whenever you go on a road it. trip, you know, it's his favorite. <laughs> in, fill in the blank, whatever it is: hot dog, man. burger, etc., barbecue, whatever. But well, and that, he loves it. He about it. He's man. That's yeah. stuff. No doubt. That gives, uh, you know, Oakland fans a little look into Greg Campy. And not just Oakland fans, anyone who's listening. So, Travis, um, really, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's I think course, people, people will like this one, you know, shooter-to-shooter conversation. But um, really appreciate you, like I said. And enjoy uh, enjoy the rest – or good luck the rest of the season and keep letting it fly. And let's talk soon, my man. All the best. Okay? I appreciate it. And I, uh, I like what you're doing. And – um you know i'm looking i'm looking forward to hopefully coming back this summer and you know getting up the shots with you let's make it happen all the best to you my man all right buddy thank you later later